good. I have an excellent front butt going right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I call it a beer gut, but you know. Hey everybody, welcome back to another excellent episode of The Squad Room. I'm your host, Garrett Tesla. I am a active duty police sergeant for a sheriff's department in Southern California. I have just a shade over 10 years of experience and the purpose of the squad room, if you if this is your first time listening to us, is to uh, deconstruct and dive into all the ways that we can make ourselves better. And I mean better uh, in all of the senses of uh, physical fitness and mental toughness and nutrition and um, stress evaluation or stress management. Uh, and and I highly encourage anyone who's just new to the show to go back and listen to the first um, dozen episodes that precede this, and you'll get a sense of what I'm talking about. Episode one lays out what I'm doing. Uh, and there's three components to, the, to this podcast. One is um, documenting and journaling my journey from uh, hitting that rock bottom of physical fitness and trying to get healthier. And uh, struggling with that through night shifts and rotations and shift changes and assignment changes and all those other things that we come up with. Uh, the other, the second part of it is uh, interviewing uh, active or retired police officers who have succeeded in, succeeded in a um, fitness lifestyle and in all of the ways that we can be fit, not just physical fitness. And then the third way is interviewing subject matter experts uh, who aren't law enforcement but are certainly law enforcement friendly who have a lot to add to the conversation. And today's guest is one of those. Uh, and we'll get to him in a second. But first, I need to go through a couple of uh, uh, housekeeping issues. First of all, I want to thank... Uh, I don't give them enough uh, credit up front, and I need to be uh, better about that because uh, I need to thank the guys over at CrossFit Pacific Coast and Gravitas Performance Labs. Uh, you know Traver well if you've been listening to this, uh, but also Eric Malzone, who is a co-owner there, along with Traver. Um, those guys uh, are taking good care of me and um, have been for several years, and they are very much a sponsor of this podcast. Uh, and uh, if you ever want to know more about them or what they do, you just go to CrossFitPacificCoast.com and check them out. They do offer uh, online, <coughs> excuse me, online coaching and support and that sort of stuff. I think I just swallowed a bug. Anyway, um, but yeah, thanks, thanks to them. Um, also want to thank again Jeff Dees and Fresh Tracks Designs for uh, coming up with that awesome logo we've got. I'm super proud of that, and uh, hopefully soon going to uh, be putting out some stuff on Instagram and Twitter, uh, announcing some uh, some T-shirts and stuff like that that we can uh, throw out there to uh, to the fans and people who support us, uh, who support the show. Um, speaking of t Twitter and Instagram, if you want to follow us, it's at the Squad Room for both of those. Um, social media outlets uh please follow us there uh i don't just promote the show i i uh, i put out stuff um from other sources that i think is relevant to the conversation that we're trying to have here and uh and there's a lot of good stuff out there uh also if you have any questions comments concerns anything like that you feel free to email me at uh squadroompodcast at gmail.com and uh, if you are really enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes and let everyone know what you think. It's uh, very helpful to the show to uh, to spread the word and get our ratings higher in iTunes and in the, the sections we're in so that more people see us and more people hear about us. All right, so to today's episode, today's guest is Steve Politis. Steve is a doctor of physical therapy, 
and um, he's a he's a really cool dude. I've uh, met Steve a few times in passing. A um, long time ago, chatted with him about coming on the show, and he was always very enthusiastic. He's got the physical therapy mindset of the PTs that I try to go out and find. Uh, and since uh, you don't see him or anything like that, or you, if, if you're wondering what I mean by that, um, for for the CrossFitters out there and people who know Kelly Sturette, he's very much in that vein, and he thinks um, he thinks of the body as a whole system, and it's um, he really does a lot of uh, of stuff with his patients that's above and beyond just what some of the old school physical therapists do. Like um, I talked on one episode about going to a PT, and their all, their solution for everything was just to lift weights and stretch. Well. Steve is someone who goes uh, deep into massage, but also biomechanics. And we go way into the weeds in this episode on a couple different topics. But it was super uh, fascinating to me. And I think it's very valuable to anybody else. So stick with it if we go into something that is a little beyond what you think you care about. Because we're going to tell you, uh, I think you're going to get some good knowledge out of this of, of why the whole body system is, uh, needs need to look at the whole body as a system and why... For example, things that are going on in your ankles might be affecting your neck and why you might have neck pain as a result. This episode is chock full of good stuff. We talk about Steve's uh, opinions on CrossFit. Um, lots of PTs hate it or they, or conversely, they love it because it keeps them in business, but they hate it because they think it's dangerous. They think it's uh, unnecessary and unsafe. Uh, Steve has a good answer for that. Um, we talk about the biomechanic issues of being a police officer and we define those, but we go through, um, kind of the standard stuff that you might see and how to maybe prevent some of those things from becoming real problems. We get into the whole pose running, uh, debate pose versus heel striking running, uh, the importance of your anterior chain, or as he calls it, your front butt. And you heard that in the intro, but, uh, we talked uh, with Dr. Goodman in episode eight about the posterior chain, but he has a good point about the emphasis on the front of the body in the anterior chain and uh, why we need mobility versus stability. We can't have one or the other. Uh, Kelly Strait again, famous for the mobility wad. Steve here brings up a, a very fair point about the need for also stability. Uh, we talk a lot about like stuff like just kind of common questions you would want to ask if you have time with a doctor like, a lot of people saying now you shouldn't be icing. He jumps into that. We talk about that. We talk about how the uh, the vest and the belt will affect your mobility and the likelihood of injury that might be caused from that. We talk about something that I experienced um, with nerve pain and nerve damage in the hips um, and what to do about that. Uh, the importance of ankle flexibility and what your boots might be doing or why you need to consider the boots or orthotics. Um, stretching routines for pre or post working out, uh, pre or post, uh, on being, going on duty and what kind of preventative measures you can take. Uh, there, there's a lot more too, and I'm, I'm going to cut short on the explanation of everything we go to so we can get to the show because, uh, there's a lot of great stuff. So, uh, Steve will introduce himself. He will go through his resume, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, don't know many people who go through, finish a, uh, doctoral program, a doctor of physical therapy, and then go do another three plus years of postgraduate work after that in specialized, um, areas. So, uh, great guy, super, uh, law enforcement, uh, friendly. Um, and, uh, we've, we're already talking about coming having him come back for another episode. So, um, again, 
you listen to this episode, you got questions, shoot them to me in an email, squadroompodcast at gmail.com, and I will uh, make sure that we an- uh, get those answered when Steve comes back on the show next time. All right. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll check in with you after we talk to Steve. Steve, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be down here. It's, it, we have been talking about this for a while. We've, we have interacted a few times and crossed paths and... Um, it's taken me a while to, to get back on to uh, sending you an email. And I, I wanted to tell you uh, a funny story. It's funny. Well, it's funny for my audience. It may not be funny for you because this is your business and your office where we're standing right now. So uh, what finally prompted me to, to trigger me to be like, oh, yeah, I got to send you an email and schedule this. So we're in a high-speed pursuit <laughs> coming out of Carpinteria and, uh, with a drug dealer out of L.A. who's moving uh, a good amount of weight. And he gets, he gets stopped. He takes off from, uh, from the canine officer that, that stopped him. And he, um, about 120 miles an hour up the highway. You might've heard about this. It was a couple weeks ago. And, um, he, uh, takes the off ramp right here down the street, which not being a local, he doesn't realize is about a 90 degree turn in about what 50 yards coming off the highway. So you gotta be ready for it (laughs) and you gotta, and you gotta know it. Well, he didn't slow down for the turn. Uh, cause he didn't know it was about to make a hard right. And he took his brand new BMW five series and sent it airborne like Dukes of hazard into the center median right there. Wow. <laughs> down by the Starbucks. Uh, and, and took that thing out long, long story and uh, all, but anyway, he, he ends up foot bailing. He runs and he runs right up. Uh, well, we figure actually he runs through your backyard here huh. in the office and ends up in one of your neighbor's. Uh, one of the residences that surrounds your business and he's hiding in a shed and he had dumped a gun right there. But the reason that all of that made me remind me that I needed to email you is I got sent and stuck on perimeter right in front of your office and I'm Uh, standing here for like an hour and a half. And, uh, I finally look up and think, Oh yeah, (laughs) I got to email you. We found him. So, you know, (laughs) right. Uh, anyway, so thank you for being here. You are a uh, doctor of physical therapy. So why don't I let you, explain your background and um, what you're doing now so that people get a sense of what we're what we're going to talk about yeah well um, yes I'm a doctor of physical therapy and then I was one of those that just could never stop being a student and so after graduating from PT school I continued on uh, just the learning path and you know my career as a physical therapist feels like one of those where it's just lifelong learning and the people that that I've worked with that feel pretty complacent um, I don't see them going anywhere if they're not taking classes and continually bettering themselves so I um, continued on and just um, got two postgraduate fellowships Uh, one of them is in applied functional science and that was a program out of Michigan and it was a year-long in-depth study in biomechanics and kind of understanding how the body is linked together and then also understanding kind of the nature of the three-dimensional world that we live in and how our bodies move three-dimensionally within that world and how to interact and and use those principles to turn them into strategies and techniques for for rehab and training and all of that. Uh, I also have a fellowship in something called orthopedic manual physical therapy. So that was a two year long program. And that was something that was really focused on uh, the differential diagnosis, which is where a patient comes into me and they just have a prescription that might say pain, eval and treat. 
and then it's up to me to kind of figure out, okay, what's going on here? Uh, and you differentiate the different tissues and try and zero in on what's the, the root cause of it. So the manual therapy also goes into a lot of the hands-on techniques that I use in terms of soft tissue mobilization, um, doing different massage types of techniques, and then also a lot of joint mobilization. And so understanding how the joints are supposed to move and what they're supposed to be doing um, and when they're not doing their job, how do you get them moving again, but really using my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then along the course um, of the the number of years that I've been a physical therapist, I've continued just to take regular continuing education courses. Um, I'm certified as a kinesio taping practitioner, meaning uh, there's some stuff out there called kinesio tape that some people might be familiar with. You see it on athletes and Olympians and things like that, but there's me after I throw my back out. Sure, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yes, there's uh, a certification process to, to learn that taping technique, which I've done. Uh, and then I'm a strength and conditioning coach, which I've been for quite a long time. And, uh, you, you kind of touched on it, but just cause I think this is probably going to come up a couple times. Um, the definition, but can you explain what biomechanics is? Yeah, biomechanics refers to the way that the body moves. And so looking at stuff, say, from a mechanical engineer perspective, they kind of see some a machine and see all the parts moving and how the parts interact together. Um, we take that and we apply it to the human body. So that's the biomechanics, the bio being the, the biology, the body part, and then the mechanics of understanding, okay, when I go to take a step, What's happening at the foot and ankle joint and how does that affect everything else up the line? And so understanding the biomechanics, I know that, okay, when we take a step with one foot, the subtalar joint down at the bottom of the body, the, the foot and ankle, that has to evert, but that starts a chain reaction of events that continue on up the body and it will cause the knee to internally rotate a little bit and then that will cause the hip to internally rotate a little bit. And all of those things are turning on certain muscles in the hips. And so the biomechanics refers to understanding that that connection, the links from all the parts and how they relate to each other. Uh, we call it the kinetic chain because it's uh, uh, where generally a body part is connected to the ground or something solid. And then as the ground reaction forces have their effect, it generates a chain reaction um, through the entire body that we can kind of follow and, and look at and understand. Mm-hmm. Does wow. that help? No, absolutely. And it's just, <laughs> it just added 10 questions more to what I wanted to, wanted to ask you about, but let's, uh, let's start with some, uh, some basics. So, uh, I always say, or have said that this is not a CrossFit podcast, but we talk about CrossFit a lot. Um, like I said, just given the popularity it is with law enforcement, um, and, and the, that group in the military, um, I've spoken with chiropractors and PTs and MDs, and it seems it seems to be split 50-50. And half of them say, I love CrossFit because it keeps me employed. And the <laughs> other say, no, I love CrossFit because uh, it, it's good for you. Where, where, where do you fall on it? I'm just curious. Well, yes, I, I too have found that it's sort of polarizing, and it seems like there's the two camps and those that believe in it and will do it, and the other ones that think that it's awful for everybody. Um, I'm certainly on the side that uh, that I enjoy CrossFit. I really like um, a lot of the exercise they do. Um, I think there's a, a lot of benefits that have come from the introduction to CrossFit, getting a whole 
a new generation of people a little bit more excited and enthused about exercising and taking care of themselves. Um, and so I see a lot of benefit there with the community aspect of the of the structure of it, the kind of the class environment where people are there cheering each other on, they're clapping, they're you know giving them support as they're going through. Um, I love all of those parts of CrossFit, and I think that's really one of the, the best things that it's done. Um, I understand some of the worries on the other part um, or the other school of thought where um, there's a lot of potential for injury. And that's one of the things that, yes, as a physical therapist, it does keep me in business. So, um, you know, it's partially a a marketing strategy to align myself with the CrossFit community. Um, But inherently with a class structure, you're always going to have some issues with not being able to individualize the instruction. And I think that's really where, um, you know, CrossFit gets a bad rep is Mm -hmm. that it's a class setting and people from the outside just observe a group of people doing a bunch of exercises, lifting some heavy weights that sometimes some of those uh, new people, they need a little bit more individualized attention. But in the class setting, that's pretty hard to do. And so that's where... Um, I think the outside observer will see people and say, oh, look at that person's getting hurt. Oh, they shouldn't be doing that. Oh, they shouldn't be doing this. Well, there's some truth to that, sure. But at the same time, I think the fact that somebody that may not be an exerciser is now engaging in physical activity. There's a coach there that's trying to help them along. They're in a community of people that are supporting them. I think all of that is really positive. And um, yes, there's potential for injury in any sport or any activity you do. Crossfitters tend to be a little bit more active than the general population. And so they're a little bit more risk for injuries because they're pushing themselves a little bit further. So although I understand some of the worry with it, um, I tend to believe that there's a little bit more benefit to it than, um, than the risk. And I think it really does boil down to the quality of the coaches mm-hmm. that are leading the class and being able to pick out, ooh, okay, that person, I need to go over and help them modify what they're doing. Nope, they shouldn't be using that much weight. Their form is wrong. Uh, let's change it like this here. Instead of doing this overhead press, let me have you just press to your shoulders. Those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. so the quality of the coach makes a big, big difference. I've, I've noticed the one... Uh... One thing I would say, too, is the uh, inability to compartmentalize the ego. That seems to yeah, trip some people up. That's, that's definitely a toughie. I mean, there's, you know, the 45-year-old that looks over his shoulder and sees the 22-year-old throwing up all sorts of yeah. weight and crushing it. And, you know, the 45-year-old is going to say, oh, I, oh I, I remember that. I could do that at one time. I'm not going to let that whippersnapper beat me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then push themselves a little too far. So it was an interesting point, too, that you think the CrossFitters are... are by nature, a little bit more active than many other types of of, of the population. So there maybe is a, a correlation there, not a causation sometimes, too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably true. Um, I will say, I mean, with a lot of the movements that, that we do in CrossFit, um, I do see some potential problems for just body parts that have issues. Um, one other thing that I guess I do want to just mention Uh, From my perspective as a physical therapist, and particularly with my fellowship in applied functional science, 
one of the ways that I look at the body and our movement is three-dimensional. And I kind of briefly mentioned that, but, mm-hmm. uh, but we move in three planes of motion. And so there's forward and back in the sagittal plane. We move side to side in the frontal plane, and we rotate in the transverse plane. Everything we do in life is some combination of those three planes of motion. One of the things that tends to get forgotten about is particularly the transverse plane, which is rotational movements. Um, we're most known for the forward and back, and that's what uh, people kind of recognize in our daily lives. They see it the most. Um, CrossFit exercises tend to be very sagittal plane, meaning they move forward and back, up and down, and not a whole lot of the side to side in the rotation. And that's where I would love to to see more of the rotation and side to side types of movements um, that I think would take CrossFit and make it even a little bit more holistic. Mm-hmm. What can you use some examples like V ball, uh, V twists? Uh, yeah, or, that's uh, uh, that's an example. Or something like um, wall balls are are a um, a very common crossfit exercise where you have a medicine ball in front of you you do a squat and then you throw the medicine ball up to touch a certain point on the wall what i'd like to see is um, some wall balls where maybe your back is to the wall and you're having to swing the ball around and rotate to hit it to the wall on one side and then you swing it around and rotate to hit it to the wall on the other side oh, at about elbow level yeah not yeah growing up right right um, I would even love to add in um, some wall balls going to the side. So the side of your body is to the wall. You're still doing a squat. You're throwing the ball up, but you're throwing it over your head to the side to hit the wall and then come back down and catch it. Um, you know, when we look at things like athletic movements um, that generate a lot of power, you know, a racket and, and sports that are using a racket or a bat or things or a golf club where you're generating a lot of power, if you look at the movement, it's all with rotation. I mean, you think about a tennis player and they're going for a forehand. It's not happening with just the strength of the arm, but they're getting the entire body and the hips into rotating that racket around. Um, you look at a baseball swing and it's all in the hips. It's not just the shoulders generating the power. Um, the golf swing, same kind of thing. I mean, you ask any good golfer and they'll let you know that it's not generating power through the arms, but it's the rotation of the hips that you want. So rotation is really a key motion that helps our bodies generate a lot of power. And when you look at the structure of the muscles, uh, particularly through the trunk and the pelvis, um, they're really designed for a lot of rotation. And Mm -hmm. so that's where I would love to add more rotational movements into the CrossFit kind of world. But but I just kind of add in my own little things for myself and anybody that asks me, I'll give them their little my two cents worth. No, I like that because, uh, and, I, and I'll get to it in a little bit here with, with talking about the gun belt, but I mean, we get in, in and out of a, I'm just, I think anybody you get in and out of a chair, you're rotating. Yep. That transverse, but getting in and out of a car well over a dozen times a day, yes. easily, easily two dozen times a day. So, and that, especially out of a sedan versus like a SUV, but out of a sedan, you're doing a real mm-hmm. side rotate. And I know, well, the last time I threw my back out, I was sitting down in a car. I was just getting in the car and I wasn't ready for how low the seat was from the person who was in it behind me, uh-huh. but I was twisted to the side when I did that and slammed my whole back just locked up. Yeah. So, okay. That I'll add that. I'll add the, the, the side wall, wall balls to my repertoire. I'll tell <laughs> Traver, <laughs> start, start putting them in. Um, so 
yeah, I'm, 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 I'm blowing my own mind as you talk because I love talking about the stuff. And I think in a, in a previous life or a future life, if I'm born smarter, the physical therapy, uh, fascinates me and, and, uh, just the depth of knowledge of the body is something I've, I'm jealous of. Um, I mean, we talked about CrossFit and, and that being dangerous. What are some of the, like from your clientele who are athletic, mm-hmm. what, what is there a common, uh, common, uh, type of workout or type of athlete that is the most injured? I mean, runners or power lifters or is it CrossFitters okay. or is it, you know, I, I think I see, yes. What's your, what's your question is there? Um, you know, I don't see any one particular athlete as um, creating more injuries. Well, let me back myself up on that a little bit. Um, dancers. So oh. dancers, um, even more than gymnasts, I think uh, they are probably the toughest athletes on themselves and on their bodies. Uh, because dance comes with a, an artistic element that you don't get in other sports, uh, other activities where they take their body to kind of the end of their physiologic range of whatever the movement is. And then a dancer will say, ah, but I want a better line. So, okay, that's the limit of what your body can give us, but let's get a little more turnout. And so then they will really crank their bodies and do all sorts of crazy things um, to create those artistic lines and that look that other athletes in their sports aren't really worried about the aesthetics quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, I have seen that dancers um, will create for themselves different types of injuries that you don't see in other sports. <laughs> um, the other thing that that I've learned is how intensely they train. Um, for instance, ballet dancers. Um, very common for them to be training four to six, even more hours a day, six days a week. And, and that is just intense exercise. Mm-hmm. And then they'll do Pilates and running and all sorts of other stuff along with that. Um, but they will be dancing and training that many hours out of a week. And you look at most other sports and that blows most other sure. people away. Um, but what, what they fall into is the pitfall of overtraining. And so that kind of ties into my answer for your original question, uh, asking about different athletes and, and who gets hurt the most. Dancers, um, one of them, but the, the real thing that I see happening is overtraining. And that's where um, there's too much, too much exercise, too much training without enough rest and recovery in between. And what happens is the body just starts to break down and it loses performance. And then you end up losing strength and you can develop stress fractures and all sorts of different problems, overuse injuries that occur from that. But it's really the overtraining that I think is the uh, the part that leads people into a lot of injuries. Interesting answer. I would never have occurred to me, but it makes perfect sense that it, yeah, dancers are pretty intense. And, they, they and that form is... The, the aesthetic form is far more important than the functional form for them. Right. That, yeah. I mean, right. I don't want to round my back in a power snatch, mm-hmm. uh, but if rounding your back is, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it goes on that rabbit hole. But um, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good, that's an interesting answer. So uh, I want to ask you a question about, again, biomechanics. Sure. And, and being a police officer. Mm-hmm. And I figure what I'll do is I'll walk you through 
everything I've got on in a typical day. And then I'm going to add a couple different scenarios and see, and just kind of pick your brain a little bit. Sure. So, um, right. So I, I, luckily I'm no longer in the wool pants, the hundred percent wool pants (laughs) that didn't stretch. We used to have those, but, uh, so eight inch boots that go up eight, eight inch, eight inches, quite heavy. Um, uh, obviously the, like cargo pants, uh, uh, a bulletproof vest, right? Which is, I think mm-hmm. about four pounds, maybe a little bit more, like about four pounds, uh, uniform shirt, which, you know, is, t- is tucked in the, uh, the vest itself actually too has an apron on it that gets tucked into the pants. So it stays kind of in place gun belt of go- uh, just going around the side gun handcuffs, radio, baton, taser, OC spray, knife, uh, 34 pounds last time I weighed it. Well, okay. Um, and it's kind of a, mine's a, a kind of a pleather, fake, fake pleather. So it's not super mm-hmm. flexible, but it's a little, it's more, it's lighter than the real leather gun belt, but it's, right. it's less, a little less flexible. Uh, and then, well, that's, that's, I say that's about it, but that's about it. And sometimes usually, um, a second gun on, on my, on my boot, mm-hmm. again, another, I don't know, couple pounds, but cinched down in a holster that gets wrapped around with Velcro wrapped around the boot. That's kind of my go-to day-to-day what I'm wearing. I'm 10 years in, a little over mm-hmm. 10 years. Uh, with, and, and most of that being on patrol. So, you know, like I say, in and out of the cars, running, sitting for a long period of time. I mean, sitting is probably the, we don't like to pretend, tell people we sit a lot, but we sit. I mean, we sit either in a car or we sit when we're typing our reports and reports are half of our job. Um, so given those kind of parameters, what, what would you expect to see, um, from, from, from your kind of standard officer? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one question that I've always had, and I really don't know, um, but this is a perfect opportunity for it is yeah ask away it's always, i can't i can't sign off on that ticket though we, we <laughs> no, talked about that, that steve um <laughs> can't get that taken care of the uh i've always wondered why why they make you guys wear boots i mean okay i'm i'm fine with the boots but why can't the boots be running shoes with a boot upper part mm. to me that just seems like it would make so much more sense if you had um, something that allowed you to move a little bit better and wasn't quite so stiff and clunky. Uh, but I've never worn a pair of your boots. No, so yeah, I, they're stiff and clunky. Really, no, uh, that's starting to change a little bit. Like, in fact, now in the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been wearing a pair of Reeboks. Reebok makes a duty boot. Hmm. It's, okay. it's a six inch instead of an eight inch. The challenge um, is mostly traditional. I think you know mm-hmm. uh, again giving that command presence and that polished look that they typically have us strive for a polished heel, like mm-hmm. you see in the military, right. Or, um, back when they wore black boots, anyway, a polished heel is kind of an important aspect of what command staff thinks is, is, is important. Sure. And, 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 and that's not to say that it's not important. I mean, it's part of the whole package. And if you look presentable and your, and your boots are shine, there's a very good proven theory that if you look, the part and you have more authority then you're less likely to be attacked right you also present yourself as as a ambassador of the department or as a law enforcement in general and you want to look the part right so that's where that all comes from sure more and more um athletic companies are starting to make boots so i know under armor makes one like mm-hmm. i said reebok um converse mm-hmm. makes one now um 
so far my experience has been they're not very well made, but they also often don't have that polished boot or polished toe. Right. So, for example, in my department, it's in our policy that I have to have a toe that uh, a toe of my boot that can be polished to a shine. Uh-huh. And a lot of these boots don't. So I would be out of policy if I didn't wear those boots. So gotcha. I'm limited by some archaic rules in some ways. And that's mm-hmm. that's the excuse. The, I got these Reeboks because they actually do have a, a polishable sh- a toe on them. Okay. Um, so that's one that's one answer for you. Right. That different departments sense. are different. Um, <clears throat> and they're definitely with materials getting better. I, I, I've, I've seen in just in my time, the shoes get a lot better. Uh, but yeah, you used to talk about like, you know, really heavy soled work boots with the, you know, yeah. with the, with those tall, really inflexible, all leather. Well, those are kind of tough. Right. So anyway, but okay. back to the question, given those, yeah. given that scenario. Um, okay. So yes, um, the boots and then with the weight belt that you described, um, that certainly does create its own issues with, uh, a lot of extra mass around the hips, which of course that's the easiest place for us to carry them. Um, but that changes, changes a lot of just the, the mass and momentum of your body as you're having to move, get in and out of the vehicle. Um, if you're having to just break into a sprint and suddenly go chase somebody or, um, whatever it is, uh, having that extra weight there does change the equation of how your body moves on top of that, um, the vest and, you know, I'm happy that you guys have them for sure, but, um, that also limits a little bit of your trunk motion. Um, your thoracic spine and just kind of your whole torso isn't quite as free to move in all those three planes of motion that I was describing. Um, and with that being limited, that makes work harder for the other parts of the body. Uh, the body is just one big connected chain and each part is supposed to do its fair share of the work so that not any one part is getting too much. When you lock down certain areas like the the torso and you put that in a vest where it doesn't have quite the freedom of motion that it normally would, that's going to transfer the the stress and strain and the forces to other parts of the body. So the hips are probably going to have to take a little bit more. The low back is going to get a little bit more of a hit and oftentimes the neck um, because those are parts just on either side of the area that's kind of relatively stiff. Um, and so above and below that stiff area is where we see, uh, more work having to be done and it takes the brunt of the forces a bit more. Um, so necks, low backs, hips, those are the kinds of things that, um, that I would uh, see having some issues just from simply the uniform. Mm-hmm. Well, that should sound familiar to pretty much anyone listening. The, I mean, those are, <laughs> that's where the vast majority of our injuries happen. Right. What about how tight that belt is? Because, I mean, it, to, to keep that thing from moving around, it has to get cinched down pretty tight. Is the tightness of the belt an issue at all, or is yeah, it just the weight? Um, uh, potentially, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, there's a obscure little uh, condition that we call moralgia parasthetica, and that refers to some numbness and tingling on kind of the front to lateral side of the thigh, Um, And there's a specific nerve called the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve. And it's just a cutaneous nerve, meaning that it uh, is just innervating the skin. It's not really responsible for turning on muscles or things like that. Mm -hmm. But that lateral femoral cutaneous nerve is responsible for the sensation on the front to lateral side of the thigh. So the term moralgia 
parasthetica is, simply means where that's getting that nerve is getting entrapped it's getting pinched somehow um, and that's very common because of where it sort of comes out right about the the hip bones uh, at your waist um, where it kind of comes out and feeds down into the leg is a spot that it can get pinched um, cinching down a tight belt is very common for that um, so yes weight belts um, like a gear belt like what you're describing um, we see it with construction workers and their belts mm -hmm. um, uh, or actually uh, heavier set people that have a lot of extra tissue that's kind of hanging over can also cause that um, same kind of condition but it's not one that will um, make it so you can't use your leg, but mm -hmm. it is certainly annoying and it's kind of this um, buzzy, tingly numbness that can really drive you batty. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's, I had that because uh, after I hurt my back um, around the same time, I would wake up in the middle of the night and my right thigh would be, it felt like it was on fire mm -hmm. and like that or someone had stuck a fork in it and just, it hurt. Yeah, and uh, if that's exactly right, you're where you're describing on the right side and the front side of the of the or the outside and the front side of the thigh. Uh, it took a lot of stretching work to get that done, and luckily mm -hmm. it's gone away. So I mean, yeah. it's, it seems repairable, but yeah, it is. And man, what a pain! Yes, <laughs> yes, and that's just um, kind of one a little bit more superficial injury mm -hmm. or condition that can develop. Uh, but with what you're describing, also just having some other back issues. Uh, the lumbar spine has the nerves exiting that feed down into the legs. And so the femoral nerve gets the, the quads and the front of the leg a little bit more. Uh, and that comes out kind of in the upper lumbar spine, L2, L3, L4 kind of area. And so if there's a back issue that's compromising where the nerves are exiting the spine, that can kind of give you that same type of mm -hmm. issue there where then it's not necessarily just that one superficial cutaneous nerve, but there can be a, a little bit more sinister things going on um, with the underlying back issue. Hmm. And then traveling down uh, to the ankles, is, mm -hmm. is the, are those boots and the ankle flexibility, does it go the other way? I mean, you say kind of above and below, so I imagine there's above and below on the ankle too. Yes. And you're starting to, you might come from the knees ankles to the knees right right definitely um yeah there's a a course um in physical therapy that uh um there's a the fellow that kind of is the guru and the the pioneer of this applied functional science and and really uh helping people understand this whole kinetic chain he had a course called uh when the foot hits the ground everything changes and and it's so true because um, the foot and ankle flexibility play a big role on turning on all the muscles and what the joints all the way up to the top of the head have to do. Every time the foot hits the ground, what the foot and the ankle are going through dictates what's happening on up the line. And so if the boots are tight enough that they're restricting your ability to dorsiflex, which is kind of bringing the toes closer to the shin, um, bending the ankle kind of as if you're squatting. So if the dorsiflexion is restricted, uh, that can play a really big role on creating some other problems, more stress and strain on the knee. It can lead to back issues and different hip issues and things like that. Um, but yes, the, the tight boots, the foot and ankle, um, limited mobility can have a significant role on up the chain. Um, looking at people with flat feet or high arches, 
uh, those are other examples of how the bottom of the foot can really play a huge role. Um, for some people, orthotics are really necessary to help provide a better base of support and let the foot and the ankle work a little more efficiently to let everything up upstream work more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody is appropriate for an orthotic, but uh, but that's just a great example of how the bottom of the, the body, the foot and ankle, can really play a huge role in what's happening on up the rest of the body. How does someone figure out if they need orthotics? Uh, that would be seeing a physical therapist for sure, because um, there's a lot to it that goes into it. Um, an orthotic should help your body work more efficiently. And sometimes the body has figured out over the years how to compensate well for just the the anatomical things that you've been given. Mm-hmm. And if the body has kind of gotten to a sweet spot and it's figured out how to deal with what it's got, and then you go and you throw something new and foreign in there, it can really create a whole host of new problems. So when we're looking at orthotics, we really want to be able to um, kind of test some things out and be able to say, okay, if I put you in this orthotic, is your body working more efficiently now, or does it seem to be developing these other problems and compensations? Mm -hmm. And if so, then, okay, that might not be the right choice for you. Um, Ultimately, if we can get everybody... Um, doing the right kinds of exercises and movements where we can move away from needing orthotics, that would be ideal. Uh, But the reality is there's uh, a certain part of the population that they're really appropriate for and they can make a big difference. So it's not then necessarily um, like, okay, so I supinate, right? So I Mm -hmm. I walk on the outsides of my feet. That by itself wouldn't necessarily mean I I need orthotics. There's not a, oh, you supinate, you need orthotics. Oh, you have... High arches need orthotics, or you have flat feet need orthotics. It, it, it's not not quite as cut and dry. As okay, that. yeah, yeah. That's there's it. there's lots of gray area in there because there's um, certainly people out there with very flat feet that you know I kind of cringe when I see them and I look at them, but then they seem to be doing just fine and they're not having any issues in their body. So with somebody like that, I probably wouldn't choose to just throw an orthotic in there. Um, same thing at the other end of the spectrum, somebody with high arches that supinates. Um, they might be able to do everything just fine and not have any problems with their feet, their ankles, their knees, or any of the other parts. Um, so again, I would choose, eh, let's not do that, but maybe let's give you an exercise to try and help just balance things out and see if I can get your body moving in a direction um, to to let your foot work more efficiently. So uh, I'm going to have you jump into this hot debate then okay um <laughs> so uh pose running yes or 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 that, that i don't know there's other names for it but i'm yep. drawing a blank on them but basically um the emphasis of running on the balls of your feet balls almost balls and toes of your mm-hmm. feet versus mm-hmm. the heel strike um heel strike being kind of the traditional way everyone eventually turned out to run and how traditional running shoes kind of cause you to run i think right right, right. um do you think uh, pose running is the appropriate way to relearn how to run or do you think it's kind of smoke and mirrors? No, I don't. I think there's something uh, real to it. And uh, yeah, chi running is is one of the other uh, very, very similar approaches to, to pose running. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, benefit to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do believe that it's a little bit more in the direction of how we're designed to run naturally. Um, versus being a heel striker. Um, you know, one of the background arguments to, to why 
to be a forefoot striker when you're running versus a heel striker is when the foot goes out in front of the body and the heel hits first, what it's giving the signal to the body is put on the brakes and decelerate our motion. And by the way that the body is designed and how the muscles um, work to decelerate our mass and momentum as we're moving in different directions, um, everything is kind of decelerating our motion in one direction so that we can accelerate in a new direction. When we heel strike and the foot goes out in front of the body like that and it hits ground, um, it's really driving a signal through the rest of the body to put on the brakes. We are slowing down against gravity. Um, so if on every step your foot is going out um, and you're hitting the brakes every time, it makes it harder to carry your momentum through in an efficient manner. When you're up on your toes and the balls of your feet a little bit more, um, the running pattern is different where instead of having the foot way out in front of the body, you want it landing kind of right underneath you. So it's a bit more of a um, sort of catching your momentum and just letting you continue with the momentum going forward as the foot just keeps you from hitting the ground. Um, it lands kind of underneath you and then kicks up behind you. So it's more that um, you're, you're generating your mass and momentum or you're continuing your momentum moving forward instead of putting on the brakes the whole time. The, the body in motion tends to stay in motion kind of right. idea. Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, and then to stay on the ankles for a little bit, sure. um, people are going to, I'm guessing, correct me because you will, mm -hmm. um, knee problems. Uh, if they're, if they're having ankle issues, you talk about like flexibility and dorsal flexibility. And I, I'm immediately thinking, okay, I, I stoop down to pick somebody up or mm -hmm. I stoop down to talk to somebody or, or a kid or right. You know, I, anything, anything, uh, pick something up and I don't have that flexibility given the boot. Um, where is there a direct relationship to where that pain is going to go in the knees, inside, outside, back, uh, front? It, it depends on the individual. Okay. Um, so everybody's a little bit different and, um, yeah, some people they'll get it in their knees and very often I'll see it just below the kneecap, kind of this patellar tendon area where from the kneecap as the tendon joins on to the tibia there, uh, that's a spot that oftentimes will get a lot of pain. Uh, we call it patellofemoral pain, uh, limited dorsiflexion in the ankles certainly is something that can contribute to that. Uh, and so if somebody is squatting down and their ankles don't have the flexibility to keep their feet flat and so the heels come up, uh, it does put your knees into just a little bit more flexion um, demand and there's a little bit more joint compression going on at that patella sitting on the femur. And so that can create some issues there. Uh, but different people, different parts. And so mm -hmm. somebody might... Um, you know, have limited dorsiflexion in their ankles and it skips the knees, but then it affects their hips or their low back or things like that. Um, so it's not always a direct kind of relationship that you can say, ah, okay, if you don't have dorsiflexion, you're going to have knee problems. For some people, it might end up as a hip problem. It might end up as a back problem. Um, it might end up as a plantar fasciitis problem on the bottom of the foot. Um, it's really individual and that's Again, one of the things that I enjoy about my job is that um, every single person, even two people presenting with the same injury, they're totally different because the context of the person themselves um, is totally unique and what their body has 
um, with its mobility and restrictions and things, strengths and weaknesses, is different than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's the fun part of the job is that um, there's lots of different possibilities and you got to kind of search them out. So taking that same uh, scenario of the officer I gave you right now, stuff that he's yeah. the stuff that he's wearing, add to it that he's forty pounds overweight. How does that change things, or does it? Oh, it does. Um, you know, certainly lots more uh, mass and momentum that we got to carry around. And, you know, our bodies are kind of designed for some ideal weights and how we move best and most efficiently. Um, you get problems when you're underweight. You get problems when you're overweight. Uh, and so when you take a, a frame and you put a whole lot, you know, 40 more pounds onto it, um, and then you add, you know, 35, 40 pounds of gear uh, that's, you know, 80 pounds of extra mass and momentum that you got to carry around and decelerate as you're changing directions, um, and moving all day long. Um, lots more stress and strain for sure. Would, would that, um, expedite things like, um, problems in the vertebrae, you know, either slip discs or, uh, herniated discs or, um, drawing a blank on the other name or, mm-hmm. or the other issue bulging that's coming, bulging and, and, and yeah. um, like kind of grinding down of that soft tissue between the discs? Yeah, potentially. Um, again, it's not so straightforward that you can say, okay, if somebody is 40 weight, uh, 40 pounds overweight, then they're going to have a disc injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't always correlate like that, but, uh, but certainly there's potential for all sorts of problems to, to develop. Um, and it's again, kind of the individual and their individual, anatomy, their history of injuries and experiences and all of those kinds of things um, get stored in the body and and may set the stage for an injury down the road where, um, you know, as a teenager, maybe somebody had a injury falling off their bike and hurt their back. Well, Mm -hmm. no big deal. Uh, But then 30 years later, there's some um, just little underlying scar tissue or something that was just never quite strengthened after that injury didn't bother him for their entire life until it reaches a threshold and then 40 pounds of extra weight you know 40 pounds of gear all of a sudden that is enough extra force to bring everything up to the threshold line where that old injury um, that hadn't bothered you for for the last 30 years, suddenly now that's kind of coming back to, to haunt you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's all those individual um, history elements that, that kind of play into it and why uh, two people with the same things going on might have very different injuries or very different issues. So um, because half the, well, the whole point of this podcast is, is kind of, uh, well, getting better mm-hmm. and better is, is obviously a huge word in that context, but getting better physically and, and, um, um, and, and with your body, what are the, what, what do you recommend or would you recommend for the, for this particular kind of audience, you know, with given those restrictions that we have, uh, uh physically, but also kind of the dynamic of the work we do. Right. I mean, we talked about a foot chase earlier and a mm-hmm. high speed chase. Um, what are the preventative things that we can do? to maybe lessen the chance of, of, of those things coming to light. I mean, is it, is it just a, a stretching routine or yoga or is it a intense physical exercise or is it seeing a physical therapist preemptively? What, what would you say? 
Yes. <laughs> to all of that's those. A, that's a busy day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a busy day. Um, but yes, all of those things that, that you were mentioning um, are potentially really helpful. Um, you know, I do think that there's certainly some stretching and some exercising uh, that would be really helpful for for everybody, but in particular, uh, police officers with the gear that you have to be wearing. Uh, but doing some, and we call it kind of the big rocks of the body, which are some key areas that if we can get those parts moving better, they tend to help the rest of the body operate even better. Um, foot and ankle is one. Uh, the hips, uh, the thoracic spine or the torso and the shoulder blades. So those kinds of areas, if we can do some specific stretches, exercises and strengthening for those body parts, that will carry the rest of the body through quite a long, um, a long ways in terms of just health and being active without injury and mm-hmm. trying to be injury free. What do you have, uh, some favorite resources or places to point people to, to look for those things? Um, you know, in terms of something they could find on the internet, um, no, I don't have a specific, um, like website or anything that I would say, okay, if you go to this, this will fix you up or anything. Uh, again, to get ideas. Yeah. yeah, it's more individual. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, with the amount of sitting that you have to do in and out of the, the vehicles. And then, like you said, the reports, um, stretching out the hips and in particular, the hip flexors are a huge part. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, I particularly like, uh, doing it in three planes of motion, which is one of those things that kind of gets forgotten about. Um, and you know, as I circle back around talking about this three dimensional world we live in and the three planes of motion that we move in, when we're going to strength, uh, stretch and strengthen our bodies, um, we want to make sure that we're covering all the bases. And so using this three-dimensional approach really is very, very powerful. Uh, So with something like a hip flexor stretch um, that I give people for all sorts of things, um, making sure that you're going forward and back, you're doing a side-to-side component, and you're doing a rotation component, Um, you know, in a podcast, it's kind of hard to demonstrate that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, we'll put some stuff but, up on, uh, on the show notes probably too. Yeah. To um, people. But, um, but yeah, something, um, along those lines of, uh, but then the combination of the other things you, you mentioned, kind of like yoga and intense exercise and, um, running, or I think the variety is really excellent. And mm-hmm. particularly because of what you need to do, uh, for work duties is so unpredictable. And you have to be ready to do just about anything, whether it's, you know, climbing a fence, chasing somebody or sitting in the car or having, you know, I was getting off the highway and I saw a couple of police officers pushing a vehicle the other day, you know, helping somebody out. So you never know what you're going to have to do. The variety that you can program into your training will help prepare your body to have the ability to deal with the variety of stuff that you're doing in the real world. Which is probably again why CrossFit becomes so popular. Yeah. Um, what about uh, one I didn't mention about massage, but I want to ask about mm-hmm. massage. And is there a type that people should be looking at, and what sort of credentials should be they looking for in a massage therapist? I mean, you know, I get a gift certificate for my wife for her birthday for a massage, and it's you know, uh, candles and you know, nice music, and someone makes her feel feel good. But is that what we should be going for if we're looking for a massage to? 
kind of help us correct some of these things or help us maintain some of these things? Or what, what should we, what kind of massage therapist should we be looking for? Right. Um, yes. And that's, that's a little bit tough just because massage is still, um, you know, it's not a regulated industry, meaning that there's not one set standard that everybody has to adhere to. Um, you know, like as a physical therapist, I got to be licensed by the state. Mm-hmm. Um, with the massage therapy, it's much more open-ended. So there's such a huge variety of um, approaches and techniques that it, it can be a little hard to, to narrow down. Uh, but somebody that has an understanding of uh, the anatomy really well and the fascia mm-hmm. is another element that, that is really a key tissue in the body to address. And so somebody that's well-versed in fascial stretching techniques um, could be very helpful. Um, deep tissue can be helpful to a point. Um, you know, there's benefits to things like Rolfing and, um, you know, Thai massage and uh, all of those can be really good. Um, it's really the, the quality of the practitioner that makes the biggest difference. And that's a toughie. Um, you know, word of mouth and getting the suggestion of, uh, a friend saying, oh, I saw this guy. He's really good. He knows what he's doing. I didn't hurt afterwards. Mm-hmm. That's a good person to go to um, and kind of exploring like that. But um, yeah, finding a good massage therapist can be a little bit tough and a little bit of a search. Mm-hmm. Um, like any industry, there's some really good ones and there's right. some less than good ones. Um, you know, the, the word of mouth tends to gravitate sure. towards the good ones. And so that would be kind of my best suggestion, I guess. I've, I, it seems like, yeah, and, and um, depending on whose word that mouth's come from, or yeah, <laughs> too, but <laughs> but I think uh, going at the gym is a, is a good place to probably ask too, because not mm-hmm. only do a lot of them seem to go there, but you're looking for people people who are in the similar mindset of wanting to work through issues are probably searching for the same thing. Mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. too that if someone is using the probably gets thrown around too much, but sports medicine is probably a a trigger as okay. They might know what they're talking about, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but obviously we got to ask questions. Yeah. So I want to go back uh, to a second ago when we talk about like online resources and and books and stuff like that. um, So uh, before we hit record, I was telling you kind of how I, how fascinating PT is to me and how I got into it. And it was through uh, mobilitywad.com and Kelly Sturette, Mm -hmm, you know, owner mm -hmm. of, San Francisco Cross CrossFit San Francisco and, right. and all that. Uh, obviously, a very well known PT these days. Um, mm-hmm. He's got two versions of his books out. I think. Um, what's your opinion on his techniques um, and uh, some of the the videos that he puts up? Uh, I think uh, he's a smart guy, and he has carved out a great little niche for himself, um, doing what he does, uh, kind of aligning himself as the the CrossFit. PT. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think his mobility wad where, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago that his goal was to, um, for an entire year, put up, you know, yeah, a new a video each day. Uh, I think that was a, a fantastic, uh, I guess thing for him to do, um, which really worked quite well to his yeah. advantage, mm-hmm. kind of exposing his name to a bunch of people. Uh, but I think he's a good guy. Um, I've met him once. Uh, I went to a course that he was speaking at up in Seattle a couple of years ago, and that was one of my first introductions into CrossFit. Um, you know, nice guy. I think he knows um, quite well what he's talking about. Uh, he and I have a little bit different background, so there's some uh, some opinions that I have that are a little bit different than his. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, he's, 
He's done a, a very good thing um, also bringing just the CrossFit world into a little bit more legitimacy mm-hmm. with some of the things that he's done. But do you do you watch those videos or see the recommendations he does and, and, and pull your hair out and go, no, 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 don't do that. People don't do that. That's that's dangerous. Um, I, and I know I'm talking, there's 300 right. plus videos, 400, 500 videos. But in general, I mean, uh, in, do you agree with uh, the methodology or what he's recommending or do you, or is it? Right. Um, yes. For the most part, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been just one or two little videos that I've seen that I just kind of think, uh, I'm not sure I agree with that approach. That That's okay. That's mm-hmm. not me doing the video. Um, but for the most part, yes, I think he um, does a great job with with the, the approach that he takes. And, you know, a lot of the, the rolling out the parts, using balls, using foam rollers, using little tools to mm-hmm. self-massage, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I think those are really good techniques. Uh, I think working on mobility in general is one of those things that most people need more of. Um, the the part that I think would complement everything really well is uh, if I did a stability wad, um, because he's kind of working on the mobility end of things. But where I see a lot of problems developing is the lack of stability, um, and it's not um, you know just oh, I'm thinking of traditional. PT exercise like a bird dog, mm-hmm. um, it, it goes way beyond just doing something like a bird dog exercise and thinks, okay, now I'm stable. Um, for all of these um, movements that we do, particularly in CrossFit and with a lot of overhead stuff where I see problems are people don't have the stability they need um, to match the mobility that they're trying to achieve. Hmm. And so, um, you know, if I were to make my own... <laughs> Well, should, like should we pause so you can go buy the domain right now? <laughs> uh, no, probably not. <laughs> um, well, that's a good point, though. I, I guess I never parsed, parsed the two. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, there's a term called most stability, and it's the combination of mobility and stability. And the little play on words, when you put those together, it comes out most ability. Uh, but really, there's some um, some real powerful concepts behind that funny little play on words Um, Because mobility and stability are a spectrum. And if you're at either one end of the spectrum, you have problems. Mm -hmm. The people that are super mobile and don't have any stability, um, they have all sorts of problems. And those can be um, the very flexible, bendy people that um, are drawn towards yoga because they can twist themselves into a pretzel and, hey, look what I can do, and this is no big deal. Um, And so they come with their own set of problems because they don't have any stability. The other end of the spectrum are the people that are stiff and crusty and just can't move or bend at all. And they have their own set of problems because they don't have enough mobility to make use of their bodies. So what we're looking for is that Goldilocks spot right in the middle, that mobility, stability kind of sweet spot where it's the combination that you can move your body, but you have the stability to control the motion. Um, And if you're too far on either side of that sweet spot in the middle, you end up with some problems. Is, is there a part of the body or in the body or a chain that uh, is where that stability comes from? Is it the hips again? Um, hips, Posterior spine. Chain, spine. Yeah. Yeah. Hips, pelvis, spine is kind of the big part. Um, yes. The, the posterior chain is, is definitely really important. Um, but again, parts get forgotten. And so the anterior chain is just as important. 
but it doesn't get nearly the press. Um, so one of the other little things we talk about is the front butt. Everybody knows about the back butt. You know, Kim Kardashian made it famous. <laughs> well, maybe people before her, but um, but it, the back butt gets a lot of press. The glutes, everybody knows about those. Uh, but then the less known front butt, because it's not as big and bulky, is the front side of the body. But the hip flexors, the groin, as those tie into the abdominals, um, the anterior chain there is just as important as the posterior chain. Um, but it oftentimes gets overlooked or... Um, it's oftentimes trained in ways that just kind of perpetuate its limitations. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of sitting. The front of the body is kind of flexed forward and bent and uh, put into a shortened position. And then we say, okay, well, let's go train our abs. So let's lay down onto our backs, bend our knees up so that, again, we're in a relative sitting position. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to ask ourselves to just shorten the abs, just shorten, 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 kind of crunch, doing crunches or sit-ups. Um, but everything is always in a shortened position. What we need to do is to lengthen the front of the body, lengthen uh, all parts of the body, but to really open it up will help it work more efficiently. So that's where the, the front of the body, the front butt, um, the anterior chain, mm -hmm. um, super important. Again, one of those things that gets I have overlooked. an excellent front butt going right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I call it a beer gut, but you know, same thing. No, uh, I've never heard that actually brought up. So, um, like lengthening that those abs um yes if we look at squat or uh, um sit-ups uh -huh. on a on a on a exercise ball that kind of thing where you right. bend backwards that uh, kind of yeah, thing or that, a ghd that machine can be, uh, that can be a little bit better uh but if we look at the way that our abs operate in the real world they are connecting our pelvis to our trunk so mm -hmm. to the thorax which is a big bony cage pelvis is a big bony cage the abs are the connecting link in between, and they decelerate our trunk motion. As we're going to reach for something, the abs are turning on to decelerate the mass and momentum of the trunk going in one direction so that they can slow it down, you can reach your target, and then they can reverse and pull you back the other way. Most of the time, we're operating with our feet on the ground and our bodies are in an upright position, reaching for things on a top shelf, um, picking things up, um, all sorts of stuff. So the abs are really working the most when our feet are on the ground, we're in an upright position and our trunk is moving in one direction and our pelvis might be moving in a different direction. Um, lengthening through the abs is how we really can turn them on the best and all muscles are like that. So a great analogy for muscles uh, is a rubber band. And if you want to shoot the rubber band across a room, you got to stretch it first. And that stretching kind of builds up that stored potential energy that then when you let go, you release it as the kinetic energy and it shoots across the room. Muscles are the exact same way. When we lengthen them, we're stimulating a lot of the nerve endings in there called proprioceptors, which are the switches that turn the muscles on. So we're talking to those proprioceptors as we're lengthening the muscles and they know that, ah, okay, we've been lengthened. The next thing coming is we got to contract. And so that's where they're the switch to turn the muscle on. Um, and that switch gets stimulated with a lengthening. Uh, but that's consistent not only with the abs throughout every muscle in the body. Mm -hmm. And so that's, again, another kind of philosophical approach to, to training. Um, I have a couple more uh, questions before I let you get back to sure. your day job. Um, <laughs> uh, 
one topic that seems to be quite hot right now, and I've asked, I asked this of uh, Dr. Eric Goodman too on a previous episode, but ice and your opinion on ice. And it seems like some are saying now not to ice or uh, that ice is still a, an essential thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your, what's your stance on that? Um, if you have one. Yeah, I do. Um, it's great for the right purpose. Uh, and so I still think that icing after an injury, when it's in the acute phase, right after an injury, uh, is a great idea. Um, and from my standpoint, it's pretty safe. There's pretty minimal side effects. Um, you just want to make sure that there's always, you know, a layer of cloth or something between the ice pack and the skin. So you don't get a silly little ice freeze Mm -hmm. on your skin. But aside from that, icing is really quite safe. Um, 15, 20 minutes tops is all that you'll probably need. Most, I mean, if it's a regular, just ice cubes, things will be warming up and melting by that point. So, you know, it's pretty done. Um, An ice pack that can stay cold a lot longer. You don't really want to go past 15 or 20 minutes. Um, You know, the idea of not icing, uh, I use that in therapy quite a lot. Actually, if I'm doing some things with patients where I want to stimulate blood flow into a certain area. Um, I want muscles to to get perfused with a lot of oxygen and nutrients. Um, I may want to leave it there and not necessarily just have them ice right away afterwards to chase that stuff out, um, but let the the healing nutrients and oxygen that we've done the exercise to bring it to that area, let that stay there. Um, There's also different ways to use ice. And so there's um, sometimes in therapy, we'll refer to it as a high afferent uh, stimulus uh, or high intensity afferent stimulus. And what that's meaning is that ice can provide a stimulus to the body that really barrages the brain with a lot of information coming in from the coldness. So the coldness on the skin is triggering a whole um, stimulation of the nervous system into the brain saying, ooh, okay, something's really cold. And we can use that to help reduce pain a little bit. Um, Sometimes it doesn't need to be for very long, but it can be a very short icing session um, that then we get a little bit of pain relief and then we can move into doing some other um, techniques, whether it's a joint manipulation or some mobilization or some other things like that. So there's um, different reasons Mm -hmm. to to use ice, Um, you know, and for me, again, it kind of boils down to the individual um, context, the injury we're talking about, what's the therapeutic goal that we're after for this person. And what, and what about as a, as an after workout recovery method? Um, is that something if you're, you're not a games athlete and you have mm-hmm. to go do another, you know, Fran in, in another two hours, but you're right. just, your your day to day workout, you're working out three times a week. Is, is that beneficial or is it like you say, you want that blood coming in and you may not want to do something like that right away? Um, it's okay. But if you're just kind of the, an everyday recreational athlete, um, looking for health, and kind of vitality out of your your exercises, Mm -hmm. then I don't think you really need to be icing afterwards. Um, And if you feel like you have to, there might be something about the exercise um, that's stirring up some some potential injuries that might be better to be modified or back off a little bit. Um, You know, you shouldn't have to ice down after any regular workout. If, you know, like you said, you're a games athlete and you know, you're really going uh, to push your body hard for a certain um, purpose or a certain goal, 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can see it um, being appropriate then, mm-hmm. uh, but not for the everyday person that's just looking to be healthy. Then I would say adjusting the workout might be in order. And um, soreness is always an issue for me, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I get after it. I have a good workout, and then the next day or two later, usually you know, it takes twenty four hours or so for it to set yeah. in, and then I'm walking around like a like a geriatric. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there, is it just, uh, I, I don't want to go softer in those workouts cause I, I'm doing the work at a good, right. what I, what I think to be, you know, safe and appropriate. Yep. What can I be doing either before or after to maybe minimize some of that post-workout soreness? So beforehand, a dynamic warm up. So dynamic, meaning you're not just doing the old traditional, okay, bend down, hold, uh, touch your toes for 30 seconds and hold. Uh, that's more of a static kind of stretch. Um, you want to avoid the static stuff in the in the beginning, but you want a dynamic warm up that's really raising your body temperature, um, taking your body through as much of the full range of motion as each joint has, and then um, actually turning on the nervous system. So those are the elements of the of the dynamic warm up before the exercise. Do your workout, um, and then afterwards. Um, doing some static stretching then can be helpful to kind of let things calm down to, to have sort of a cool down period. Uh, but then the next day doing some light aerobic activity. So whether it's going for a walk or a swim or a bike ride or rollerblading or something where what you want to do is you want to get your blood pumping a little bit so that you're flushing the system out. And so you're trying to carry away the metabolic wastes that have built up there while you're bringing in fresh nutrients and oxygen. Um, It doesn't have to be a strenuous kind of thing, but just enough where you're, you know, kind of breaking a light sweat, uh, but trying to get the blood pumping and doing some light aerobic activity kind of the day following your workout um, can do quite well to help minimize some of the, Mm -hmm. some of the pain and soreness. Okay. And then um, kind of related to that too um, with, the pain and soreness, but also some of the issues with, uh, well, with every, everything we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, do you recommend, or do you have a belief that there is a particular, uh, diet or way of eating that is good or better that you would prescribe for people? Or does that not necessarily affect your world in the physical therapy world? Oh, it definitely affects my world um, to a huge degree. I certainly am a big believer that, I mean, we are what we eat. And if what we're eating is all processed things that comes in bags and boxes and cans and pre-made things, um, then you can be pretty assured you're getting a lot of chemicals and a lot of processed stuff going into your body. So I think that um, certainly nutrition and what you're eating plays a huge role in all of it. Um, You know, I myself have a personal interest in nutrition and just eating healthy and I like to cook and my wife likes to cook. So for us, it's something that we share, um, but it's very individual. And, and I know from my perspective, there's not one diet that fits right for everybody. Um, it's, it's much more individual, but uh, I kind of boil it down to whole foods. I mean, if you're eating real foods and whole foods and having to cook it yourself, um, that's far better. Um, you know, taking it kind of the next step, if you can get it sort of local so that it's not you know, bananas that are coming from Chile in the middle of the winter, (laughs) you know, you think about just all the other impact that has on the world of, you know, you eating your 
60 cent banana that's come across the continents um, you know the more local you can get uh, the food is going to be so much more fresh and you're going to get the nutrients um, and the vitality of the food even better if it's local and it's fresh that kind of thing so I just kind of boil it down to whole foods try and avoid the processed stuff um, and as as local as you can you're going to get more value out of the food with its nutrient density than if it's something that's coming across the other side of the globe. Mm -hmm. Do you notice any, maybe anecdotally, even just um, any correlation or or causation between uh, like a gluten-free or paleo diet and the level of uh, inflammation in muscles or the level of pain that people experience? Yes, definitely. Um, You know, I I know that the whole gluten thing, there's a lot of controversy about it, Um, but if you actually you read into the research and all of that uh, it's pretty clear that gluten is not so great for our human bodies and at least our body's digestive system does not deal with gluten very well and that starts to create a whole host of other problems so um, I definitely believe that that can be a contributor to kind of a systemic inflammation that's going on throughout the body for a lot of people and that can be a, a big deal. I know for me personally, um, you know, I was a bread lover. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm, and sourdough. finding, yeah, a good <laughs> sourdough roll is like nothing else. And you can't find it anywhere else in the country. So I, I do have a great appreciation for bread. But I have found over the last number of years, as we've kind of evolved our own diets, um, that I am feeling worse and worse um, when I do have some bread after I've been able to cut it out and I can see in myself I'll drop 10 pounds pretty easily if I stop eating any bread uh, for say two or three weeks the weight just kind of disappears Uh, as soon as I start to have some croissants and some bread and um, it'll just pack right on and I and I have started to recognize feeling a little more sluggish myself Mm -hmm. so um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot to nutrition and creating an inflammatory state or not so inflamed state. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I've, I've noticed similar things uh, in the times that I've been successful at being strict, gluten free. Not mm-hmm. even just paleo necessarily, with you know allowing some things like rice, but just mm-hmm. gluten itself. Like you say, those first ten pounds are pretty easy, and then clearer vision, clearer thinking, better right. sleep. So yeah. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate your time. Um, that was a lot of great, great stuff. And, and uh, I, I'm already going to ask you to come back and do another one sometime <laughs> when we can, <laughs> when I have enough time to process all my follow-up questions. Uh, sure. So I'm much of what to. we do, you know, it's a very physical job, obviously. Yes. And then, uh, as as Trevor and I talked in one of the last episodes, it, it all of a sudden becomes a a non-physical job. You get a desk job, you get promoted, and now you sit behind a desk all day different types of challenges but either way a lot to deal with and then you add the the weight of the of the gear and, and all that sort of stuff and just it snowballs pretty quickly sure definitely <laughs> so thank you very much um if if people want to reach out to you do you have twitter or instagram are you a social media star uh no not so much the social media star but i do have a website what, where, uh, what's that so people can go and check you out steve dpt.com uh, so my name, Steve, and then Politis, P-O-L-I-T-I-S. And then DPT is in doctorphysicaltherapy.com. As in doctor. Yes. 
Cool. Well, thank you very much. We'll put that on our show notes too and all the other stuff we talked about. Uh, and uh, appreciate your time and, and your support. Yeah, well, I've enjoyed this quite a bit, and I look forward to talking with you more. Great. We'll do it. Thanks. All right, so hopefully you got a lot of good information out of that. Like I said, Steve's already agreed to come back on another time. So send those questions in to us, squadroompodcast at gmail.com. Let us know uh, what you want us to talk about. Um, It's always a fascinating conversation to me about how the body moves and how the body works and then the restrictions that we put on it. (laughs) the restrictions we put on it with uh, our gear and then the exceptions that we have to make with what the job entails. It's kind of ridiculous. Anyway, uh, the squadroom or yeah, the squadroom at, uh, sorry, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Give us a follow there. Review us on iTunes. Let us know what you think. We appreciate you listening to the show. Um, I love hearing that. I love getting emails, tweets, Instagram stuff from people who are getting value out of what we're doing. I will be perfectly honest and say that uh, some days uh, when uh, I have a self-imposed deadline to get a show out and it's uh, uh, thrown on the headphones and editing up an episode versus sitting on the couch, sometimes it's hard not to sit on the couch. So, but the things that uh, really do uh, get me going and get me fired up and get me excited to come and, and, and do these is hearing from people who are getting uh, good information out of this, getting inspired, that sort of thing. Because the people who... Uh, are, are, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have inspired or informed in some way or are giving me back 10, 20 fold, uh, in the fact that they just, they get me, uh, excited about doing this whole project. Uh, got a great tweet today from, uh, looks like Mike McHugh who said he's uh, deeply grateful f- to the squadron for the show with Dr. Eric Goodman. That's episode eight. I've done just two days of basic routine, and wow, back pain is dramatically better. That's awesome. That just made my day getting that uh, this morning when I opened Twitter. So please uh, let us know if you're getting something out of this and also who you think should be on the show. I've gotten a couple of great uh, suggestions, and we're working on those, and uh, and we'll, uh, we'll update those soon. All right, everybody, take care. Stay safe. Be good to each other. Mm-hmm.